G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital on SEN. A Formula One Grand Prix will be raced in Melbourne for the first time in three years when the car's Hit the track on Sunday at Albert Park. The full weekend begins tomorrow with practice beginning on Friday, qualifying Saturday. The pre-season is out of the way. The warm-up races in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia are done. And now Australia for the season opener, right? Kind of. It's round number three this weekend. Michael Laminato from Box of Neutrals and the F1 Strategy Report is with us on the Sporting Capital. Good evening, Michael. How are you going? Good, I like that. The warm-up races is something I'm definitely going to have to use this weekend. I like that a lot, because this does feel like it's meant to be the first round of the season. Has the hype ever been higher for an Oz Grand Prix? It really hasn't, you know. You know, okay, I wasn't really around when the when the Grand Prix arrived here in 1996. I was too young to know, and that was obviously a very big crowd that arrived, and there's, of course, the novelty factor of a, a new event in a in a city that hasn't held it before. But the hype this year is... Yeah, absolutely palpable to use a phrase because the sellout tickets are one thing that really indicates pretty strongly that the demand is very high. You cannot buy a ticket for Saturday or Sunday and even Friday is in pretty high demand. And it's people are talking about Formula One in a way they, they never really have or so it feels like in Melbourne and even the country generally. It's a, it's a real moment not only for the Australian Grand Prix, I think, but for Formula One generally after the season we had last year. I think that's all combined to to really bring us to what's a really exciting time to be a Formula One fan. Are you privy to the to, to know how much effort and how much blood, sweat and tears has gone into this from the, the Grand Prix Corporation to put this one back on, the first one back in a couple of years? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been speaking to some of them uh, over the last day or so, obviously, when they've been in the thick of it. And everyone does transfer into a little bit of an event mode. They're very focused on the way they do their things. And it's been, I think, more of just a build-up of wanting to run the event, if that makes sense. Because all these guys are employed by a company that its job is to run the Formula One Grand Prix and the Motorcycle Grand Prix down at Phillip Island. And for two years, they haven't been able to do it. And even more painfully, obviously, 2020 was called off. There's nothing more painful for an event organiser than that. And of course, last year, we thought we were going to get a race, and then that was called off a couple of months beforehand as well. So it's been more just almost getting that off their shoulders, if you like, to get back into the swing of things. And and once they have, you only have to see them in action if you see the track being set up over the last couple of weeks. It's sort of hand in glove. It's all come back to them very quickly, and uh, it's all looking very good. So what's the main story we're looking for on the track in the racing in Formula One this weekend? We've, of course, we've got this unfolding championship battle between Max Verstappen, the reigning title holder, and Charles Leclerc from Ferrari. And, of course, if anyone's seen the crowds at Albert Park over the years, no one will be too disappointed by the idea that Ferrari might be back at the front in Formula 1. It certainly looks like that's the case. Over the first two races of the season, there's been pretty much nothing to separate Red Bull and Ferrari. They've been so close, which is incredible because the cars look so different and the rules are absolutely brand new. And yet they've managed to find cars that pretty much lap, at least the first two circuits, almost in identical time. So discovering if that battle can continue this weekend, whether it is just between Leclerc or Verstappen or whether Carlos Sainz and Ferrari or Sergio Perez, of course, who got pole in Saudi Arabia but couldn't go on to win the race, whether they can also insert themselves in that battle 
is going to be really key. And, of course, we want to see what's going to happen to Daniel Ricciardo, don't we? Unfortunately, not a lot, probably, judging by the McLaren car. But you never know. It is Australia. So what's how is, is Formula One better when Ferrari is, is up there and competing for race wins? That is a, a bit of a phrase in Formula One, that when Ferrari's doing well, Formula One's doing well. It is a bit of an exaggeration. If Ferrari's dominating for five or six years on end, that isn't always good. But there are a lot of Ferrari fans around the world. And certainly, if we cast their minds back to the, the era of Michael Schumacher domination, there were just a lot of Michael Schumacher fans around who were very happy to see him win every race without even trying. But it is a good feeling, if not for Ferrari's sake, let's say, but just for the fact that we've got a team that has been out of sorts for the last couple of years, back in contention. Very important as well that they are, given Red Bull Racing is on a bit of a march at the moment. If it had just been all one-way traffic for Max Verstappen, we wouldn't be too excited about this either. So it is good to consider it that way. And hopefully Mercedes can get itself back into the battle too before too long this season, which means then we'll be facing a three-team fight, which would be enormous for Formula 1. Red Bull, the reigning champions with Max Verstappen, and, and he won last time out in Saudi Arabia a fortnight ago. But reliability has been an issue in the early stages of the season for Red Bull. What has been that little thorn that has just hurt Red Bull over the first couple of weeks with this uh, with this Red Bull non-Honda engine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Honda. Just don't call it a Honda, exactly. <laughs> it is a Honda-built engine. It is the same Honda-built engine fundamentally as last year. It's been upgraded since last year, but it's still Honda building it. They're just not putting their names on it because technically they've withdrawn from Formula 1. You get the sense there's a bit of regret from that uh, from them given the fact they want to keep building them. But we've seen this problem emerging from what was last year an absolutely rock-solid Honda power unit. We saw, for example, in Bahrain, Pierre Gasly's engine went up in, in fire. It was quite dramatic uh, fireball of a, of, a, of a car failure. Luckily, of course, he got out fine. Then in Saudi Arabia, his teammate Yuki Sonoda, this is for Alpha Tauri, who run the same power units, the Red Bull sister team, I should say, didn't get to the end of any of the three days without a power unit problem. Practice, couldn't qualify, couldn't even start the race. On the way to the grid, his, his engine failed. Then, of course, if I cast our minds back to Bahrain as well, both Red Bull cars failed to make the finish. That wasn't, strictly speaking, a, a Honda engine problem. It was a control part problem with uh, the fuel scavenging fundamentally. But these are all relating back to this reliability question. It's something I think was a little bit underestimated this season because the engine rules aren't new as much as the engines have been updated over the course of the year. It's the cars, the chassis that's all new. But we've seen that, particularly for the Honda-built engines. We've also seen that, to be fair, uh, in Alpine engines and even Mercedes engines. So it is sort of a bubbling question this season, the reliability question and how that'll affect the championship. Reliability has been a, somewhat of an issue for McLaren as well. You mentioned Daniel Ricciardo before. What has hindered McLaren and uh, and the fortunes of Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris? What's been the where, where's been the the main shortfall, I guess, for McLaren? Have they just been left behind the eight ball in uh, in the new regulations? Yeah, unfortunately, the main shortfall is the car for McLaren, which is a, a real problem. It looks pretty promising at the start of pre-season testing. The car was quick straight out of the box. The car didn't even seem to be struggling with this bouncing you've probably been seeing on the internet at the end of straights where the cars seem to bounce up and down on their suspension. Didn't even really have to deal with that. So there was a great deal of optimism that it might be the fourth team in title contention this year. They had some problem with some brake cooling. They had a massive miscalculation, which meant in Bahrain they were the slowest car of all 10 teams at the end of that Grand Prix. That was a little bit of an anomaly, but what we've discovered since, and in Saudi Arabia, is that the car just lacks downforce fundamentally. And downforce is what makes these cars quick at the end of the day. The engines are all relatively close in performance. It's how fast you can go around the corners, 
because of how much downforce your car has. And both Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris have reported that the balance in terms of how it is to drive, the car feels good. They expect when they finish a lap that they're going to have a quick time. But then they get out, they look at the timing board and they're tenth or lower, and which is really disappointing as a driver, obviously, when you feel like you've put everything in and not getting enough out. So it looks like the start of what's probably going to be quite a long year for McLaren, unfortunately. They will recover, and they'll recover probably more quickly than we've seen in previous years. But still, they're several steps behind the front runners now. So unfortunately, it does look like where we'd hoped they would be this year is pretty much off the table. But with new rules, gains... Big games are possible, and there could be surprises if we want to sound optimistic, but also don't get too excited. Those new rules and and the regulations that have been introduced this season, which has a lot to do with downforce, as you mentioned, and the aero packages for the cars this season, uh, those new regulations have been uh, spoken about as being the most significant change of regulations for quite some time in Formula One, in a nutshell, and and what to expect, I guess, for people going to the Formula One on Sunday and those who watch the race at home. What have the regulations been in a, in a basic sense and, and what effect will it have on racing? So in a nutshell, it's, it's redesigned the way the cars develop their aerodynamic performance, the downforce. In the old cars, it all used to be based on the bodywork that you could see on top of the car. The problem with that is that it created a lot of dirty air behind it, which meant it was difficult for a car to follow another car. And when you can't follow a car very closely, you also can't overtake them too easily. And so we found... Certainly at the Australian Grand Prix, for example, overtaking has been extremely difficult. So the way they've approached these rules, they've kind of built up the rules as if they're the FIA and, and Formula One management were their own F1 team. They used wind tunnel time, CFD, all that kind of stuff to develop a car that didn't do that. And the way they've done that is that the downforce is now generated by the floor of the car mostly, and the bodywork you see on top doesn't do as much. And that means there's not as much dirty air. And more importantly, the cars themselves are not as sensitive to the dirty air that is still being produced which means the racing is much more closer. Now, we've only seen two more two races so far, so it's, it's not quite enough of a data set to say anything for certain. But the drivers have been very positive, and they're the ones who can really feel when the cars are underperforming when they're following another one. They've said they can race much more closely, they can follow much more closely. And if anyone saw the, the last 10-lap battle in Saudi Arabia for victory between Leclerc and Verstappen, you'd see that Verstappen didn't have too much trouble following Leclerc for most of that time. And once he got the job done, Leclerc was still able to follow him and try and challenge to get that victory back. So in Albert Park, where we've typically seen following to be quite difficult because of the circuit layout, and that layout has changed as well to try and help that this year a little bit, we're hopeful that the cars will just be able to race more closely together. And if you're more close, you can try and force a a driver into mistake. You can launch an overtake based on strategy. So we're just generally hoping that the racing will be better. And on the evidence of two races, it's it's a well-founded hope. Michael Laminato from Box of Neutrals and the F1 Strategy Report with us here on SEN. The track layouts, how significant are those track layout changes uh, at Albert Park? They look relatively small on paper, but they really do add up. So a lot of the corners, around about a handful of them, have been widened quite a bit. In particular, Turn 6 has been widened by almost 8 metres. So the speed of that corner will be 70 kilometres per hour faster, which is heaps, of course. Even in a Formula 1 car, that's quite a big change. But the most substantial difference is the old turns 9 and 10 have been removed, the old Clark chicane, completely, which means when you're coming out of turn 6 and 7, which is now 70 kilometres per hour faster, it's a completely flat-out run now all the way down to what used to be the 11 and 12 chicane, that very quick left-right-hand chicane towards the back end of the track. Cars are now going to get there at around about 330 kilometres an hour, which is very fast. One of the, the... one of the longer flat-out sections on the F1 calendar as well, even though it's not really straight, it's effectively a straight. 
And that just really changes, that combined with those faster corners really changes the profile of this track. It was previously sort of a medium speed. It's very one line through the corners because it's quite a narrow circuit. Now it's much more wide. It's much faster, which will be a good thing for McLaren potentially. They prefer the faster tracks. Uh, and there are more lines in some corners to try and generate overtaking. So even though it looks, if you look at a map of it, it looks pretty familiar, the Elwood Park circuit generally. The profile of it, the way the cars will need to be set up to tackle it, is relatively different, which means we will see a little bit of a different kind of spectacle this year. Along with the Formula One racing this weekend, there'll be the support categories as well. We'll see supercars over the weekend. The Carrera Cup has been a, a familiar part of the race weekends at Albert Park. Um, and the S5000s, which I'm, I'm sort of interested in, it's the first time we'll see those at Albert Park. I don't know how much you know about them, Michael, but it, in general, it's just a well, it's, it's sort of a native Australian open-wheel category, which is reasonably new. What, what do you know about the S5000s and what we can see? Because they, they look like Formula One cars to, to maybe the, the layperson who hasn't seen too much of Formula One, but they are different. Yes, they are. They do look like Formula One cars, you're right. I can tell you, if you've never seen them before and you're in even the general vicinity of Albert Park, you will have heard them by the end of this weekend because they are extremely loud. Uh, it, it, it is exactly like that, as you say. It's sort of a, it's an open-wheel category. It, it's downforce based, so it's not like some of the the more domestic uh, open-wheel uh, series we might have seen, you might see around the country. It, it is sort of a similar driving style in that sense to Formula One, but it is all Australian, which is sort of a little bit unique in that sense. It's something you, a lot of people won't have seen before, uh, but it is worth having a look. We've got a pretty big support category over the course of Albert Park. This is one of them. As you said, the supercar is another one. So we will see, I think, what's really interesting around this new layout of Albert Park, a whole bunch of different types of cars tackling them. So we really get to see, you know, I guess the, the full range of what this, this circuit layout has to offer uh, because it's meant to improve the racing for all of them. So it's going to be re- really interesting. Are they louder than Formula One cars? I, you know, I don't have the decibel reading, but to me, they certainly, they would have to be. You know, in fact, they would definitely be louder than the current Formula One car. I know the F1 engine has sounded louder in recent years just because of the way the exhaust systems have been developed, but I'm pretty sure this would be louder. Good question, though. I haven't obviously heard them yet this weekend to compare them, but I would say yes. We'll know in a couple of days then. Uh, news this week in the Formula One world that Las Vegas will be on the calendar for next year to increase the tally of three races in the United States when you include Miami and then the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, we're seeing a popularity increase in the United States over the last couple of years under the, the Liberty ownership. But what order has it happened in, Michael? The chicken and the egg. Has it been that the increased popularity has led to more races uh, being demanded in, in the United States, or are they introducing more races in the States to boost the popularity? It's definitely popularity-driven at this point. Now, there was always a plan to have more American races even before Formula 1 really took off in the US in the last couple of years, so we can say that as well. But the Circuit of the Americas, for example, last year hosted... The numbers were revised several times. I'm going to say 380,000 people over the weekend, which was a record for them over time that number became 400,000 a little bit rubbery but nonetheless it was a lot of people this year the tickets sold out I think in 48 hours for the race in Texas in Miami it was I think one hour or a couple of hours for the new race there and the tickets in Miami let me tell you were expensive they were not entry-level tickets so people were that keen they were so keen in fact people who'd signed up for pre-sale for the Grand Prix in Miami 
some of them couldn't even buy tickets because there were too many people subscribed to the pre-sale, which to me sounds like a logistical problem, but nonetheless, it just tells you how popular that is. So there's clearly demand for at least a third race in the United States. I think what was really interesting is that the, the management of Formula One pointed out as well, not only is America huge, obviously, as a country, the race in Miami is not going to be anything like or have the same audience as the race in Las Vegas, and again, the same for the race in Texas. But they are international audiences too. That, that's a big part of it. So they're just attracting people generally, not just people who are in America who are into Formula One. And they will be showcasing different, I guess, vibes as well of Formula One. You know, I think that we'll come to regard the race in Austin as sort of the, the hardcore race, if you like. It's a purpose-built circuit, one of the great F1 circuits as well. You've got to go to Austin, which is sort of, you know, it's far from New York, it's far from LA. You really got to want to go there. Miami's going to be a bit more of a, a glitz and glamour race. It'll probably have a a South American field as well, knowing Miami. And then Vegas will be completely different again. The night race, a very late race, in fact, 10 p.m. local time. We all know the the sort of atmosphere of Las Vegas as well. They really turn into a big uh, event race, uh, I suppose is one way to describe it. So they're going to be three very different races, not just three American races as well. And there is the prospect that there may even be in the future, although it's still very early days, the fourth race. So everyone wants to try and crack New York City. Uh, no one's been able to do it yet. Formula E did manage to do it, but Formula One hasn't. And that may yet be on the cards. But the demand is clearly there. We've also got to consider the population of the US is enormous. It is about half the population of Europe. And Europe has, I think it's nine or 10 races all on its own. It is a European sport, of course, and Formula One's not suggesting it forgets that. But there is a reason for there to be so many races over the US. And I think that we'll see that they all will be really different. And I mean, if the people are going to turn up, we can't argue with that. Michael, I appreciate you coming on the program and having a chat with us tonight. It's uh, felt like a long time coming, so enjoy the racing this weekend at, at, uh, at the Australian Grand Prix. Absolutely. There's a real buzz about it. I can't wait to see it get underway. Michael Laminato from the Box of Neutrals podcast and the F1 Strategy Report with us on the Sporting Capital on SEN this evening. Your thoughts on the Formula One, 0433981116 on the text. You can give us a call, one 736 736 Coming back after this.